Our sermon text this morning is from Lamentations, verses 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't already turned to the passage, I would encourage you to do that. In fact, turn to Lamentations chapter 1. Um, it's easy to find Genesis, and it's easy to find Revelation. If you want to find Lamentations, perhaps the best way to do that is kind of break the Bible open in the middle, and you'll, you'll find a big book there called Psalms. And then you go from Psalms to Proverbs Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. So just keep going and, you know, go past Isaiah and Jeremiah and you'll get to Lamentations. As there is every Sunday, there is intentionality in our worship. We sing songs that remind us of something and then that leads us to a better understanding of the truths that will be proclaimed. You have already preached God's word to me this morning uh, and to each other by singing what we sang. In Christ Alone is probably my favorite all-time song. Now that's, that's hard to say because I've got a lot of really, really high favorites. But if I had to pick just one song to be sung at my funeral, at my memorial service, this would be it. In Christ alone, my hope is found. There is no other hope apart from the finished work of a Savior who loves us and gave himself for us. And we were in desperate, desperate need of a Savior. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and apart from the finished work of Christ, we were destined to remain under the wrath of God for all eternity. But thanks be to God, because of his great love with which he loved us, he sent his Son. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We have much to be thankful for. Before we go any farther, I want to pray. Let's pray. Father, we have sung some amazing truths that these hymn writers, these songwriters have uh, set to music for us, and they are wonderful reminders of how vast and how wonderful, how mighty, how great, how beautiful your love is. And yet sometimes, Father, we take the word love and we use it very casually. And that is not a casual word when it comes to how you've expressed yourself to us. In fact, it's not even scratching the surface when we just use the word love. Because you are love personified. You are love magnificent. Father, help us not to lose sight of that. Help us to be reminded of that. And Father, I even pray that perhaps each one of us, myself included, would be 
better instructed in what your love is really like. And then, Father, help us then to model that love, to live that love, to be like Christ in loving one another and loving this world that desperately, desperately needs your love. So quiet our hearts, guide our thoughts, help us to be receptive to your spirit, and help the words that I say only to be the truth that is from your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I think it's beneficial <coughs> to recognize that everybody likes love and wants love. And if you listen to the Beatles, the Beach Boys, the Eagles, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, okay, so I'm dating myself. Okay, these are all from the dark ages of Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, you know, to go back to some of you and, and eat, that are even older than me. Love is a recurring theme. But it's not the love that I'm going to talk about this morning. It's not, it's not as full and rich and deep as the love that I'm going to talk about this morning. First of all, I want us to understand that we desperately need this love. We desperately need the kindness of God. We despe desperately need his mercy. And, and all you have to do is turn to Lamentations chapter 1. Let me just read a couple of verses for you if you're there. Let me direct you to verse 5. It's talking about Israel. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has afflicted her. That is Israel. For the multitude of her transgressions, her children have gone away, captives before the foe. Verse 8. Jerusalem sinned grievously, therefore she became filthy. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Verse 9, her uncleanness was in her skirt. She took no thought of her future. Verse 14, my transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together and they were set on my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. Verse 16, for these things I weep. My tears flow, my eyes flow with tears. For a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. There's none to comfort me. Verse 17, toward the end. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. Verse 18, the Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. Verse 20, look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me, because I have been very rebellious. In the street the sword bereaves in the house, it is like death. And if you continue on and read the balance of the book of Lamentations, you think, I don't want to read this. This isn't good news. This is distressing. This is a discouraging book. Well, not really. Because you see, until we know the depths of our sin and our depravity, we cannot really truly appreciate our need, nor can we appreciate God's love. Because his love is so great that all of those things that we have done against him and to him, he provided a way of restoration. Praise his name. He is forever to be praised for his goodness. And so we come to today's text, which is Lamentations chapter 3. I'm glad I don't have to preach the whole chapter, because I was actually thinking about verses 22 through 24, and I was just focused on it, and things that were coming my way were just reminding me of how great God's love is. 
So in chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, it says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases in spite of everything in chapter 1. His mercies never come to an end in spite of everything in chapter 2. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. There is much in this short passage that talks about the love of God. Now, love is an attribute. It is a character aspect of God. It's a piece, and we sometimes divide that apart into pieces. But if we examine love, love has attributes as well. Love is multifaceted, and we're only going to look at 10 of the facets. We could go on and on if we were uh, careful in our study here, and we would see that there are even more of them. The main idea this morning is that God's amazing love changes my purpose, my perspective, my hope, my goals, my actions, words, and attitudes. We often miss and don't really appreciate the wonder, the breadth, the depth, the height, the width, the length of God's love. We don't really, truly, fully appreciate that. And I just want to encourage you, as I've encouraged myself this week, to think more deeply about that. You see, because our thoughts matter. Our thoughts there's a saying that says, sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a de destiny. Now, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but our thinking must be right about our sinfulness, and our thinking must be right about the love of God, and that's the desire today. Um, there are many verses that talk about the love of God, so we could literally be here for days if we examine the scripture, okay? So I'm not going to punish you that way. I'm not going to put you through that, hopefully. But I, I did one thing with 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 1. I looked at it in five different translations. And in each one of those translations, it talks about the nature of God's love. So in the ESV, 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. So if it's a kind of love, that means it has attributes. In the New American Standard Version, it says, see how great a love the Father has. It has an attribute of being great. In the King James Version, it says, behold what manner of love. There's a working in this love, and it's multifaceted. In the Amplified Bible, which was published a long time ago, but I kind of like it. My dad had a copy of the Amplified Bible. He liked reading it. See what an incredible quality of love the Father has shown us. And finally, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, how great a love the Father has given us. Uh, this is the same word that is used in Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, when the men saw what Jesus did. The disciples saw what Jesus did, and they said this. What sort, what manner, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? 
So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to explore what kind of love that is. And I would submit to you that God's love is immutable, infinite, unlimited, perfect, unmatched, empathetic, lovely, strong and vast, and it gives hope. And we're going to cover all that very, very quickly this morning. But I think it'll prepare us for what is to follow, the Lord's table. Because that communicates, again, this great love that God has for us. Number one, God's love is immutable. That's a fancy theological term that basically means it's unchanging. It's unchanging in quality, duration, purpose. In other words, the writer of Lamentations tells us it's a steadfast love of the Lord. It's steadfast. It's invariable. It is stable. Uh, Malachi 3.6, I've been going through Malachi with the pastors in India. Malachi 3.6 says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. His love does not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Because my love doesn't change, you deserve to be consumed. But because my love doesn't change, you are not consumed. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, not even a slight movement of God would change a shadow if he were to cast a shadow. He can't because he is light. But if he could move and change, the shadow would change. James says there's no shadow change. He's where he is, who he is. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. There's no change. So what does this change? Okay, so I'm going to ask this question after each of these words, just so you're prepared. What does this change? There is no doubt that he loves his children, and that doesn't change. His love doesn't change. He loves you as deeply, as richly, as fully today as he did yesterday, and he will for all eternity if you are in Christ. That love does not change. The Samaritan woman had various loves and lovers. It changed for her throughout her life. She had different loves and lovers. And then she met somebody that spoke to her like nobody ever before. He spoke to her with compassion. He said, I have something I want to give you. I have water that will cause you never to be thirsty again. And of course, she's looking at Jacob's well, and she's thinking, well, that would be nice. I always come out here in the heat of the day so the other ladies don't see me. I don't want to have a conversation with them because of the wreck I've made of my life. When she met Jesus, she met the Son of Man, God's Son, who was loving without changing. He loved her with an unchanging love, and it caused her to run into the city and say, you gotta get, you got to meet this man. He's loved me like nobody else. God is not only unchanging and immutable in his love, he is infinite in his love. Notice in our text, it says in verse 22, the steadfast Lord of the, the love of the Lord never ceases. How long is Never. It's forever never. It's never never. 
okay? If I say I'm never going to do something, that means from this point forward, I'm not going to do that. That's what never is. His mercies never come to an end. It's infinite. Never communicates infinity. Um, as I was thinking about that, um, I thought, that's just amazing. That's amazing love. Uh, and God exhibits that in many different ways. Again, back in the book of Malachi, this is what God says. They've been neglectful in bringing the tithe in to the storehouse, into the temple. And God says to them, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. So test me, he says. See if I'm sufficient. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour out down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He's infinite. There's no need he can't meet. He can do it fully, completely, beyond your capacity to store the blessing. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 says this. A believer has this. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint, and what is the immeasurable, the infinity, the infinite greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. He's a mighty God with infinite resources to love infinitely. In fact, Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 7 say this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. His love is infinite. This is not temporary. It's not limited. It is complete and full. So what does that change? It must change something. You cannot, let me repeat, you cannot exhaust his mercy. You cannot exhaust his forgiveness. John makes it clear we're all sinners. If anyone says he does not sin, he makes God out to be a liar. So if you say, I'm not a sinner, then you're basically saying, well, first of all, you're saying you're an idiot, okay, for saying something like that. But number two, you're saying, God, you're a liar. Because God says you are a sinner. But if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. How many times? All the times. Every time. Uh, Peter said, uh, Lord, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Seven? No, he, Jesus basically said, you forgive like I do. Forgive like the Father forgives. Seventy times seven. Four hundred and ninety. In other words, don't, don't create a spreadsheet, Peter. Okay? Don't try to keep track of it. Just be forgiving, like me. So our mercies and our forgiveness should be like his. Uh, we need to grow in that, clearly. Peter thought he had done the ultimate unforgivable act of treason by denying the Savior. And did Jesus bring that up to him in word when he confronted Peter and asked him, do you love me? Did he say, Peter, you're a, you're, you're a traitor. You've committed a tre tre treasonous act. No, Jesus in love asked, do you love me? 
Jesus was showing him incredible, infinite love. And Peter said, well, Lord, you know, I love you. And just so it was really clear to Peter, Jesus asked him the same question three times in order for him to be able to respond positively to counter, not if you can counter a sin, but to help him to see that the three times he denied was covered by his love. And he could still serve. He could still be useful. So God's infinite love makes us able to serve. Number three, God's love is unlimited. It's not just immutable and infinite. It is for my soul. Notice in the text, it says, verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, Therefore, I will hope in him. Everybody that reads that and believes that God can save and have responded to God's wonderful gift of a Savior, it doesn't matter how bad your sins are. Think of Rahab. She's mentioned in Hebrews 11. Think of King David. Just think of him. You know, he was a man after God's own heart. God clearly used David in some amazing ways, but David was a bad sinner. Think about the Apostle Paul. We hold Paul in high esteem. He was a desperately wicked individual who did despicable things against God's children. God's love is unlimited. And it's for my soul, it's for your soul. Don't look at your sin and say, I'm beyond hope. Christ died for the ungodly, That's us apart from Christ. He died for the ungodly. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. That's Lamentations 3.25. There's an interesting conversation that Jesus has with a Pharisee in the home of the Pharisee. The Pharisee invited Jesus to come eat with him in Luke chapter 7, verses 41 through 48. And uh, Jesus knows that Uh, The Pharisee thinks that uh, Jesus is not very careful about who he spends time with and who he lets touch him. And there's a woman who was known for her bad reputation who did some beautiful things to Jesus, and the Pharisee's thinking, uh, the Pharisee's name was Simon, the Pharisee's thinking, If he knew who this woman was, he wouldn't be showing any kind of pleasure in what she's doing. And so Jesus tells the Pharisee a little story. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. See, it didn't matter how big the debt was. 50, 500, 500 million... Now, which of them will love him more? So he's asking Simon. I love Simon's answer. He's he's trying to say the right answer, but he doesn't really like saying the right answer. So here's what he says. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. You suppose? You suppose? No, it's the one that got the debt that was big. 
And then he turns to the woman and he says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me the water for my feet. But she has wiped my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time she came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment, a very valuable ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now the one who is forgiven little has just the same debt. There is no such thing as a, a little sin debt. There's just a sin debt. And so the, God's love, God's mercy, God's steadfast love is unlimited. So what does this change? Well, it should change our devotion. It, it means my possessions are for his glory. My time is for his glory. My strength is for his glory. And it also changes my hope. If if you, if you look at the passage, it says in verse 24, Therefore I will hope in him, because of his steadfast love, because his love is unlimited and it's immense and infinite and unchanging. I will hope in him. I can hope in him. The reality is there's hope. Both the Pharisee and the woman needed hope. Only the woman recognized a great need for a Savior. Therein is the difficulty. The fourth item, God's love is impassable. We don't use that word very often. In fact, I had to look it up and think about it a little bit. This is, does not mean that you're on the freeway and you can't pass the Lord, okay? This is not the kind of impassable that impassable is. Impassable has to do with emotion. In the Westminster Confession, it says this about God. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible. And now listen to this next part. Without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible. But what we should note here is without passions. Now, does that mean that God does not have passion? that he does not have emotion? Well, no. You look at the, the Scriptures and you can clearly see uh, that he does, and in fact, we do because we image him. We have passions uh, as well. Uh, sadly, our sin has made a mess of our passions. But here's the difference. The gods of this world are very, very ir unpredictable. They might be happy with you at one point and blessing your crops and doing nice things to you, and then you do something to the God, and they irritate you, and they send you a drought. That's the gods of the nations. Their emotions are all over the place, and you're never quite sure what the God's going to do, so you're always kind of living in fear that the God's going to really put the hammer down now. Okay, I've irritated him. He's going to get mean and nasty. His emotions shifted from loving me to hating me. That's not the God of the Bible. He is impassable. He does not change his emotions. His emotions are very stable. My emotions are not. My emotions can go wonky. 
Okay? God's motions never cease to be what they are. There's no variableness there whatsoever. Number five, God's love is perfect. Actually, we could stop right now because all those things we've already talked about, that's not love that's common in this world, right? We just need to recognize that what we're talking about here is a love that's almost incomprehensible. We're just scratching the surface here. God's love is perfect. It's not just unchanging, infinite, unlimited, impassable. It is perfect. Uh, How do I know that from this passage? Well, if we look at Lamentations chapter 3, it says, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Okay, let me, let me illustrate this. This is a, a kind of a weak illustration, but it was the best I could come up with. You buy a new car on Monday. It's new. It's perfect. Well, we hope. You know, it's not a lemon. Let's, let's assume that you bought a car and it's just absolutely perfect. The paint is not scratched. The engine starts. Everything works exactly as the manual says it should work. It's new. On Tuesday, what is it? It's used. A year from Monday, what is it? Very used. Oops, got a scratch. Ouch. Five years from now, what is it? Well, now it's depreciated. Actually, it depreciated on Tuesday, but you, ha- you hung on to it. Hope against hope, Ben, that maybe it would go up in value, right? I bought the right kind of car, so it'll go up in value. No, it's, it's used, it's old, it's not perfect anymore. God's love is new every morning, but it's new, new. It's never new old, it's never new used. It's new, new love. That's amazing. That's perfect love. Regardless of what yesterday was all about and how I sinned and how I offended God and how I disobeyed God, His forgiveness is new, His mercies are new, they're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. First John 4, 7 through 10 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that he sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God. This is, that, that's not love, that we've loved God. Don't pat yourself on the back that you've loved God. Okay, that's not love. Love is he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he did, he rendered propitiation. He provided a sacrifice of love for sinners that was perfect, a perfect sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb. What does this change? This changes our security. I can rest in the perfect love of God. It's a perfect gift by a perfect Father of a perfect Son with a perfect sacrifice that's good. It's always new every morning. Fresh mercy every morning. Uh, Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19 that we were not redeemed by perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ without blemish or spot, a perfect sacrifice with perfect 
love. But that's not all. God's love is unmatched and unequaled. Nothing else comes close. In our passage this morning, it says, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. I'm not going to hope in anything else. I'm not going to hope in my good deeds, not my works, the fact that I'm a Baptist, the fact that I'm a member of Memorial Baptist Church, none of that. I hope in him. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand. It's unmatched, unequaled. There is no acceptable substitute. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. That's unmatched. There is no love greater than that love. How great is the love of the Father that we should be called the children of God. Unmatched love. His love is empathetic. Now this is really special, actually. God understands you at a level no one else does. You can have a good trusting relationship, a good marriage. You can have brothers and sisters that get you. You might even have brothers and sisters in Christ that understand you for the most part. <laughs> God gets you completely. He knows your frame. He knows your frailties. Uh, he's empathetic. He understands. Psalm 103, 14 says, He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. John 11, 33 through 35, when Jesus saw Martha weeping at Lazarus' grave, he was deeply moved and greatly troubled, and he wept. He empathizes. Uh, there are other verses in the notes there. I'm not going to read all of them, but Hebrews 4.15 says he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Um, he sees us as sheep without a shepherd, individual sheep. I mean, he sees the flock, but you know he calls his sheep by name, and he says, if you're in the Father's hands, you're, you're safe. You're safe there. So there's great comfort in this. This should change our view of the completeness of his love the sufficiency of his love. And it should also change our percep perception of the difficulties that we face. Because every difficulty he empathizes with, and he's been there. That's why he came. So that you would know the depth of his love and the reality of his love by the pain and the rejection and the scorn that he received. We've not received anywhere near what he received. He understands to a depth that none of us really do. One another. He has empathy. His, his love is also lovely. <laughs> I don't know if it's fair to use the word lovely when you're talking about love, but it's lovely love. It's beautiful love. It's a personal love by a personal God. I like the old hymn. You know, by the way, in our passage, this is a personal response the Lord is my portion. This is for my soul. 
This is lovely. This is lovely love. The hymn writer, fairest Lord Jesus, beautiful Savior, says this, Jesus is fairer, Jesus is purer than what? The meadows, the woodlands, the flowers. We have beautiful flowers in our yard. Jesus is fairer, far fairer than all the flowers. And they're beautiful. Fair is the sunshine, fair is the moonlight, bright the sparkling stars on high. Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels in the sky. Beautiful Savior, Lord of the nations. His love is lovely. You can't help but examine his love and say, that's just gorgeous. That's just beautiful. But it's not just beautiful, it's vast and strong. In the Psalms, it talks about how great God's strong love is. There is no weakness in God's love. There's no shortcoming in God's love. Psalm 62, 11 says, Once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, the power belongs to God. That pretty much sums it up, but that's not the end of it. Psalm 66, 3, Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. Psalm 67, 1 and 2, May the God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all the nations. His love has saving power. It is vast. It is strong. We sang how deep the Father's love for us this morning. There are deep spots in the ocean. Really deep spots. God's love is deeper than the deepest sea. God's love is higher than the highest mountain. God's love causes him to remove our sin from us as far as east is from the west. That's how strong and vast his love is. In fact, in Psalm 103, verses 11, 13, I, don't, I didn't put this in your, your notes, but it does say in Psalm 103, verse 11, his love is as high as the heavens above. So great is his love for those who fear him. His love is great. So how does that change us? I haven't asked the question for every one of them, but, you know. How would that change us? Well, that changes our praise. The things that we're going to praise are, should be praiseworthy. God is worthy of our praise. And it also informs our purpose. We are to make disciples. If, he, if his love is everything... You know, let's assume that at least half of what I've said is right. I didn't see Rob scowl at me yet, you know, so I'm, and, and there are other people here that, you know, know God's word. I don't think I've said anything that's wrong about the greatness of our God's love. I tried not to. I don't want to misrepresent God in any way, shape, or form. If this is all true, we need to make disciples. If, if God's love is as great as it is, we are to pro proclaim the name of Jesus. We are to support missions. We are to tell our neighbors. We are to pray for family that needs to know the Lord. <clears throat> and finally, this verse tells us, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. 
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Trust this amazing love of an amazing God who loves you dearly and sent his son for you. There are some benefits of God's love, and I'm going to go through these very, very quickly. Number one, you are being transformed. Do you realize that one of the benefits of his love is you no longer have to be a rebellious sinner? You can have victory over sin. That's number one. Um, you can look at 1 John 3, 9, 1 John 5, 1, Romans 8, 29 through 30, but it clearly says if you're born of God, you will become like God. You will image God in a way that you've never imaged him before. This means that if you're led by the Spirit, you will no longer be the same. You will be transformed. Secondly, you are unblemished and can shine. He is the light of the world. You are lights. So one of the benefits of the love of God is that you no longer are in darkness and you are no longer darkness. You are light. And you can shine. So you now are blameless and innocent in the sight of God and you can become a reflection of the sun. And thirdly, all things are yours. You inherit all things. This is, this is, we think about the love of God gets me to heaven, you know, where the streets are gold and I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. <laughs> That's setting our sights way too low. Because God says, you, if you are children, in Romans 8, 16 through 17, here's what you have. If you are children, then you are heirs. What does an heir get? What the father has. That's what the heir gets. You are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you realize that Christ, in Christ, he is your brother? He's the firstborn. He deserves the inheritance. The firstborn gets the inheritance. But God says, you are heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that. Everything the Father has is yours. And he tells us in his word repeatedly, if you lack something, ask, and I'll give it. So as we approached the table this morning, I was reminded of another song. I couldn't help but think of songs as I was thinking about the love of God. And one of them is moment by moment. And there are some interesting words in that 
song that say something about dying and living and looking and ownership. Dying with Jesus by death reckoned mine. In other words, I should have died, but because of Christ, I die with Jesus. Living with Jesus, a new life divine because of his great love. Looking to Jesus, because I know his love is unchanging and forever infinite, till glory doth shine, moment by moment, O Lord, I am thine. We have a, a, go, a God, a good and awesome, loving God, and his love is great. So let me ask you a question. Here's the question. Does God's amazing love change you? Does it change your perspective? Does it change your purpose? Does it change your hope? Does it change your goals? If you've not realized the depth of your sin and the magnificence of his love, then probably it doesn't. But if you understand the depths of your sin, if I understand the depths of my sin and I understand the true love of God, it's going to change everything. God's love, God's amazing love, changes everything. So I have, if you meet in a small group, I have some questions for those of you that are in a small group, and here they are. Which aspects of God's love do you need to hear? Did you need to hear and remember today? Why? And if you don't know him, come to him. Ask him for the forgiveness that he freely offers because of the finished work of his son that we celebrate at this table this morning. What, if anything, is not changed by God's love in the life of the believer? So is there anything that God can't fix? Is there any? Identify the things that just are too big for God to take care of. Make a long list if you can. By the way, if you make a list, I'd sure love to see it because I think I could take you to the Word of God and pretty much show you you missed the boat. Number three, how does God's love change my purpose, perspective, hope, and goals? Uh, maybe a better question is, what's on my calendar? What's important to me? And finally, what does God's love compel you to do this week? For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And if he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was risen again. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your amazing love, and I want to thank you for the privilege of declaring your love. Your love is, it is immutable. It does not change. We thank you for your unchanging love. It's dependable. We thank you that it's infinite. There's no shortage in your love. There's no end to the supply. We thank you that it's unlimited that there is no sinner that is too sinful to be rescued by your love, by your gift. We thank you that you do not waver like the gods of the heathens, that your emotions are rock-solid, stable. And we also thank you that your love is perfect and lovely, strong and vast, and that gives us hope. And so we worship you, and we desire to serve you. Help us to remember that what we're really doing when we serve 
is just showing you a small fragment of the love that you've shown to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.